0: Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers.
1: Today I have the opportunity to interview Michelle Rosenthal, She is an expert about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. She hosts her own radio show, Your Life After Trauma. She's written an amazing book, Before the World Intruded, Conquering the Past and Creating the Future, and she coaches others on how to deal with and get over and heal from PTSD. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Angela, hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today and to have you share with our listeners some of your story and some of the things that you included in the book and definitely some tips for those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or who have family members or loved ones that have suffered through it or are suffering through it. And of course, that can be a whole topic on its own. But before we get there, let's talk about your story and what happened in your past that evolved into you discovering that you had post-traumatic stress disorder and needing to heal from that?
0: Well, the story begins, my story begins in 1981. I was 13 years old. I was having the most idyllic summer vacation. and Everybody remembers what it's like to be out of school and you're just spending the summer with your friends and having a great time and my family took a terrific trip that summer. We went out west from New York and my parents flew us out west, my brother and I, and we all piled into a Winnebago and we drove all over the west going to Grand Canyon and the Painted Desert and having such a, a lovely vacation experience and when I got home my whole world just fell apart. I ended up having a simple infection for which they gave me a very simple antibiotic. And because of an undiscovered allergy that I had to the medication, I had anything but a simple reaction. I had a very complex, life-threatening illness that resulted from this antibiotic Mm. that turned me essentially into a third-degree burn patient. Oh, my. And, yeah, and it's the illness itself is so rare none of my New York City doctors had ever seen it so it took them a week to diagnose me and then everyone just stood around and said well we just don't know what to do about this so (laughs) over the course of the time that I was in the hospital I lost 100% of my epidermis and by the time I came out of the hospital I'm sure Angela you remember what you were like as a 13 year old girl I had no coping mechanisms Right. to deal with that kind of tragedy and horrific pain. Mm-hmm. So when I came out of the hospital, it just I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt so altered and mm-hmm. so changed by what I had lived through. And what I decided was, okay, I'm just going to pretend this never happened, and mm-hmm. I'm going to run as fast as I can forward. And, you know, we're adults now, so I can I know now that that's never an effective way to handle something. Right. But at the age of 13, it seemed like a very good plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, and that's the thing. When you're that age, you're not equipped to deal with such things or to have those types of feelings forced upon you and then know what do you do with that, where do you go from here, how do you unravel that. So that is a great deal of many people's issues as far as having post-traumatic stress disorder. It shows up later on in life because something in their childhood was so traumatic and they never even recognized or accepted all that happened in that. I think that's so true.
0: And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, trauma literally affects the prefrontal lobe, I should say, it can affect the prefrontal lobe of the brain, which is the language center. Mm -hmm. So when trauma interrupts the normal function of that part of your brain, it is very hard to find the words I, you know, my mom made, you know, tried to make me sit down and talk about what had happened. And she made me talk to a therapist but i i didn't want to talk in my mind when i tried to think of well how do i describe what i'm feeling there were no words mm-hmm. and that that's actually a chapter in my trauma recovery memoir that just came out this week the book is called before the world intruded because i kept trying to go back to who i was before my trauma mm-hmm. because afterward there's a chapter in the book it's called no words there just was one very long scream in my head mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I think that happens to a lot of us because we, we do feel altered and changed and it's hard to figure out how do I describe this to somebody else. And there's also such an intensity of emotion that you feel paralyzed and terrified. Will I be able to handle this intensity of emotion? Right. And that's, to me, really where PTSD begins is I can't go there. And so avoidance, which is one of the main PTSD category. Of symptoms and criteria, avoidance becomes a way of life because the alternative of facing all of that in motion is absolutely unthinkable.
1: That's right. Absolutely. And I can understand that and relate to that. Before we talk more about what went on following that event and then your years after, before you started the real healing process, can you explain to the listeners, for those who are not familiar, what is post-traumatic stress disorder?
0: Sure, and that's a great question because we're all familiar with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder in terms of the military. Since 9-11 and the war that we've been in, the media has covered post-traumatic stress disorder enormously in terms of how trauma affects combat veterans. The truth is that... Trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder affect over 24 million Americans independent of the military. And that is a statistic from the National Institute of Health. So let me explain why the number is so big. Post-traumatic stress disorder literally comes from a trauma that occurs in which a person feels helpless, and their very life is threatened. Mm-hmm. And that was the original hardcore PTSD definition. Now they're expanding the definition to include if you experience watching someone else have their life threatened or a traumatic experience in which you feel helpless and powerless. Mm-hmm. And that happens to all of us from, you know, medical illness like mine, car accidents, natural disasters, domestic violence sexual assault, child abuse, I mean, anything can cause PTSD. Mm-hmm. So it's an important issue to address, and thank you for bringing it up, because I've heard so many people say to me, well, I didn't think I could have PTSD because I wasn't in the military.
1: Right. And and, and the fact is, you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think one thing to clarify also is that really everything – affects everyone differently. Nobody's the same. And that's one thing that's critical for people to remember, especially relating to mental health issues, is that something can affect me way more traumatically than you or the next person. And so, again, we don't want to put it into a box and let people think that if they experience something or witness something, it's not bad enough. Or if they did and it was really, really bad that they should feel, you know, there's no hope for them. They have this disorder. So there's a lot of discussion going on, which is nice and which I'm glad to have you here today because these things need to be talked about. We need to be more open about it. We need to understand that it affects everyone differently, that it happens regularly and often, and that there, there are different stages, if you will, of PTSD and different levels. Definitely. Absolutely. That's very true. And a great
0: example of that is I have a friend who was in a car wreck last year, uh, flipped over several times on the highway, and, I mean, her dog flew out the window. He was okay, thankfully. And she came out of there next day, bought a new car, got right back on the highway. She was fine. Mm -hmm. But I work as a post-trauma coach, and I have a client who has had a similar experience dealing still with the traumatic effects of it. So you're so right two of us can go through the same thing and come out with a totally different perspective. And that often has to do with the way you learn to deal with stress when you were young and what traumatic events already have occurred in your life at the time Mm -hmm. that the new trauma
1: Mm happened. Absolutely. Good point. Good point. So where was it along the way, you were only 13, that you began to feel like there's something here that I need to deal with? I've talked with other guests on the show and I know from my own experience, we often have this nagging feeling that something's not right. Was it something like that for you that made you investigate what was going on or was there some specific event that triggered the PTSD for you? Um, That's a good question. And here's how it happened to me.
0: I absolutely agree with you and your other guests. I knew all along there was something not right with me. Mm -hmm. And what was confusing to everybody not just me I think is because at first I was just a moody and difficult teenager mm-hmm. you know so it was easy to say well you, you know my mom if she was sitting here would say I knew it was connected to your trauma I always knew right but whenever she tried to bring it up to me I would fly into a rage I was so deep into avoidance that if you even suggested that we discuss what was bothering me I would go I would cut you off the way you and then just leave you, <laughs> leave you bleeding, mm-hmm. because it so threatened me. For four years after my trauma, I would, I would not even utter the words. Mm-hmm. And I told everyone in my family, "Do not speak about this." Mm-hmm. And I silenced everyone through this enormous anger. But you're right. Inside, I knew something's really not right here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I was trying so hard as the title of my book expresses, to get back to who I was before the world intruded. And so I was trying very hard to behave like I used to. And Mm -hmm. so I hid everything and tried to carry on. And when I moved into my 20s then, I moved out of being a a moody teenager and into I'm a writer, so I was a temperamental artist. (laughs) And even then, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't want to admit it. And here's the sad thing. I think we really have to get to a day where we are ready to admit that something is very wrong and I'm ready to do something about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For me, it took me 20 years and, and a serious health problem before I would admit something was wrong. Up until then, I just said, well, look, I'm a writer, I'm temperamental, I'm moody, that's where my art comes from. I had a thousand excuses right. and I just accepted that I was crazy. And I thought, well, some people are crazy and I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the sad part of what takes us or what can take us so long to heal is that, you know, after trauma, we can have very distorted thought processes. And if we don't let anyone in to help us clarify the thought processes, we can really take ourselves down at very a very unhappy and unhealthy
1: path. That's right, absolutely. And and that's something important for everyone to remember. And the beauty in it all and another exciting thing to have you here today to share is that at any time we can stop that downward spiral and do something differently.
0: I think you're so right. We have the choice. It's, you know, Victor Frankl wrote that whole book, Man's Search for Meaning, all about the idea of you you have freedom in in your mind and no one can take that away from you.
1: Absolutely.
0: And and that's the beauty of it. And yet at the same time we can feel filled with such despair that we relinquish our power entirely and we sink into that powerless feeling until we decide it's time to shift to being powerful and I'm going to start making choices and taking actions that allow me to do that. And for me, that, that unfortunately came, you know, because I had enormous liver, stomach, intestine and bone problems mm-hmm. caused by years of self-destructive eating disorders and an enormous amount of stress mm-hmm. that caused my body to just completely start to melt down, mm-hmm. at which point I was forced to
1: face taking care of what was really wrong right that makes sense so you had to face that and deal with it and in a way I'm sure that was a blessing in disguise how did you start that process of facing what had happened to you dealing with your feelings being able to talk about it
0: you know it's funny you should ask that because it started with writing It started, you know, for most people, maybe it starts in therapy. They actually go go talk to someone. But for me, it started with writing. I started writing about what was wrong. And since I had been, you know, I've been a writer since I was seven. And then my trauma was at 13. So I I think it was natural for me to gravitate back to something that had to do with who I was before the world intruded. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. sort of accessed that part of myself and I started writing poetry, and I could not write about myself, or really what had happened. Mm-hmm. I wrote very metaphorically, and I created an alter ego, <laughs> and it was a man, and I wrote about what happened to him, in terms of how trauma changed him, and how he tried to, you know, get himself back together, and, uh, and I, over a, period of time gradually went from writing about him to being able to use the word I and writing about myself. Mm -hmm. And about that same time, I ended up with advanced osteoporosis. I was 35 years old, and the doctor said to me, you know, if you don't take care of this, this is a disease. You will have your bones crumbling spontaneously within 10 years. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) okay, I need to take back some control here. And, and that really forced me into therapy and into admitting and accepting I am full of fear every day and I live this way because I am perpetuating this feeling that I've had since I was 13. Yes. And then the question became, what am I going to do about it? Right. And so that's how I ended up in a meaningful therapeutic situation. Mm-hmm. And that, that started my, my journey toward wellness, which, of course, you know, took a while. But it started with a willingness to admit, here's what's wrong, and I have the choice to make to do something about it.
1: Right. And that's powerful. And I think what sometimes people find challenging, as a counselor myself, I know that a lot of my clients have been really unable to process the learning part of going through a therapeutic counseling because they weren't ready to accept what had happened. They weren't ready to do the work. And so you do have to be ready. Sometimes you have to be forced into that readiness because, like you said, you had a health issue that needed to be dealt with. You needed to think about your life and your future But it's so important, as you said, that you needed to realize that you had a choice to do something differently. And that's really what a lot of PTSD is about, is whatever happened in that moment, you didn't have a choice. And so your control is at ground zero. And you need to find a way to get that control back over the things that you really and truly can control and have some sort of sense of, I can be responsible and own this part of me or the situation.
0: That's so true. And especially because the, the, I, there are so many ironies in living with and recovering from PTSD. And one of them is that you come out of a trauma and you put in place coping mechanisms meant to maintain your safety and control. Right. And then it's those very mechanisms that become dangerous while you are using them to create safety. Mhm. You know, so, for example, for myself, an eating disorder is always about control, and for me, it was about controlling my body because I was always terrified you know what will happen again, and will mm-hmm. I survive the next time? and so I'm going to control everything I can about this body right and and yet it's that very control that landed me with advanced osteoporosis, mm-hmm. you know because when you when you don't give your body the nutrients and when you live in enormous stress, high levels of cortisol actually deplete bone minerals and lead to osteoporosis. So you can sort of see how the mind-body connection works together. Right. And, and then that's, that I see that so often as a post-trauma coach, I work with so many survivors, their bodies are responding to what they're doing in their mind and their mind always thinks that they're doing the right thing to gather that safety and control. And what you're bringing up is that safety and control really sometimes comes from giving up what feels like safety control and choosing
1: to get it another way. Absolutely. Very key, very key, and that's a great share for some of our guests, I'm sure, who are listening in and have gone through something traumatic or have realized or know now that they have post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you share with the listeners some of the key signs of post-traumatic stress disorder? Absolutely. You know, I came out
0: of my PTSD recovery. I am 100% PTSD free. It took me 24 years to be diagnosed and another couple to get my healing act in order and done. And when I came out of there, everything I was thinking about was I don't want anyone else to lose as much time as I did. If Mm -hmm. someone had educated me, if someone had noticed the signs. I could have healed two decades ago. Right. And so it became important to me to give back and to help others not suffer the way I did. And so I founded HealMyPTSD.com which is an enormous website of PTSD information and support and education. And on there, there's a PTSD self-test under the education tab. So if you're listening and you think that the symptoms I'm about to describe apply to you, you can hop onto the Heal My PTSD website and really start to discover whether or not this is your issue. Because PTSD is categorized in three different types of symptoms, and, they, and it's diagnosed when those symptoms persist for more than a month and render a person socially, personally, professionally dysfunctional. So there are three categories of symptoms, re-experiencing, avoidance, and arousal. So re-experiencing is the kind of thing, I just can't stop thinking about it. No matter what I do, I cannot stop thinking about what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Also, nightmares, flashbacks, that kind of thing. So that's re-experiencing. Avoidance, I can't go anywhere near any of that, whether it's emotionally, intellectually, physically. I can't be around anything that looks sounds like, feels like, smells like, tastes like anything that has to do with my trauma. Mm -hmm. So a deep, deep avoidance and a lot of emotional numbing that comes with that. And then arousal, living in a state of high anxiety, we call it hypervigilance and hyperarousal and exaggerated startle response so that you are really literally always on edge waiting for the next thing. And so From those three categories, and you made a comment earlier, there are varying degrees of PTSD, and that's so true because some people have flashbacks all the time, others don't. And so we all have a different concoction Mm -hmm. of PTSD symptoms, and depending on the severity of the trauma and the length of time that it went on and the way in which it was done, you know, there's regular PTSD which comes from a, a sort of a single incident that happened once over a brief period of time. Everything else that goes on for extended periods becomes complex, can become complex PTSD. And that usually has an interpersonal element to it where, for a good example is child abuse, several years at the hands of an abuser. And, and then there's also rape-related PTSD and postpartum PTSD. So you can start to get a sense
1: of how many variations there are right. while we're all under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense, and I'm glad you shared that because I want people to understand that, like many other things, we need to investigate what we're feeling, what we're going through, or if it's a loved one, and don't just let it lie. If you have that nagging feeling, whether it's your own sense of not feeling right about something or about someone you love or care for, investigate it, find some answers, look for some solutions and some other people to help support you and help you through this. And of course, you can contact someone like Michelle and find out a lot more and pick up the book. What are some of the tips in the book that you share about what you've learned on this journey? What are some things that someone getting a copy of your book before the world intruded, how would it help them?
0: Well, the book is called Before the World Intruded, Conquering the Past and Creating the Future. You can also find out more at beforetheworldintruded.com. The funny thing is, Angela, I sat down, since I was a writer, I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write out my trauma. And I came to that decision because years of therapy, I didn't know, and this was in the 90s, I didn't know there was such a thing as a trauma trained therapist, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend if someone needs help to find someone who really understands trauma. I was just with a regular therapist, which had its benefits, but he really didn't know how to help me with what was really wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, I I was just getting worse and worse and worse in therapy. And I finally said, okay, I've got to get out of therapy because this isn't helping me. What am I going to do and then I started researching and um, education is so key whether you have PTSD or not knowledge is the key to recovery I am convinced that the more we understand ourselves so that's self-knowledge and the more we understand whatever clinical issue we're dealing with the more we can partner with the right support people yes to strategically design a recovery process mm-hmm. Not that any recovery goes the way you think it's going to go. (laughs) That's true. Good point. But it it is critical, like
1: you said, though, to get help, to do the research, to find what works for you. Because, again, we're all individuals and no one experience or even your emotions are the exact same to someone else. That's, that's
0: right. And that is so true. And it's, it's important to realize and hold on to that because then when you're looking at someone else and saying, well, they did it. Why couldn't I do it that way? You know, I, for example, and this is one of the things in Before the World Intruded, someone will read literally my whole PTSD recovery. (laughs) So the book opens with my trauma so you can understand where I was coming from. And then it charts the path of my PTSD experience from, you know, the, the perspective of the the brain fog and the issues that I dealt with and the symptoms and how they presented and how they impacted my life. And then the book is really, the focus of the book is all about redemption and resilience and recovery. Mm. And my recovery, it took me, Angela, 10 modalities (laughs) to get to where I am today, which is, you know, 100% PTSD free. And that speaks to the point you just made because, for example, I used energy processing in my recovery and that's you know some of people like tapping emotional freedom technique some people like emdr and i write in the book about my experiences with these things and they definitely allowed me to become more functional but i wasn't free i was still enormously depressed mm-hmm. and enormously anxious and so i kept you know banging against a wall until i broke through it with hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming And the thing that I think is interesting about recovery is I think even in our moments of failure, we're learning things and we are making deposits in our recovery bank. Mm. So even if we think, gosh, well, that didn't work, what a waste, I think it does work on some level. It lets us have tried something. You never know what thought's going to come from that. And you never know what's going on subconsciously that over the weeks and months since you had the quote-unquote failed experience, something starts to click in your mind that you didn't expect. Right. So I think everything is worthwhile and in the book I talk about PTSD and PTSD symptoms, how to cope, how to heal and I chart these different things that I tried. I also talk about how to overcome pain and suffering through the pursuit of joy because and this is you know this is where my recovery really took off and became so fun. I had I was living in such a dark black depression that one day I just was in such despair, thinking I'm never going to be better. I'm, I'm just never going to be better. Mm-hmm. And by then, I, I mean, I knew that I wasn't crazy. I knew I had PTSD and I was so hopeless. And a little voice in me said, you know what I'd really like? I'd like to feel something the opposite of the way I feel today. Mm-hmm. And I knew that when I danced, you know, I, I'm used to freestyle dancing. I'm from New York City, so a club kid sort of girl. And I knew when I dance, I just sort of get out of my head. Mm-hmm. And so now I live in a small beach town. You can't go clubbing, so I thought <laughs> I'm going to sign up for dance classes at a local dance studio. Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing, Angela, I have never ever ballroom danced before. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I but I thought if I can just dance and connect to that part of myself that feels joy for one hour a day, I don't know what it will do, but I think it's important to be able to connect to this life affirming part of me. Right. And so that's what I did. And I danced every single day, no matter how depressed I was, no matter how little I had slept, no matter that I felt like I would bite someone if they came near me. Mm -hmm. I committed and an amazing thing happened because when we access joy, it is so life affirming. That it brings up, you know, it changes your body chemistry. A mm-hmm. thought produces a physical reaction. That's right. And part of yeah, and you know that. And part of that physical reaction is a chemical change. Mm-hmm. And when you change the chemicals of your body, you can literally, in an hour, go from complete depression to absolute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ecstasy. And that shift was important for me to learn how to do, and mm-hmm. to learn even more that it was possible. right? And so I, I chart my whole course of this discovery, which actually also had a huge reconnection of my mind-body connection, which is important because as trauma survivors, we get so disconnected and often so dissociated. Mm-hmm. So I write about all of this in the book, how, how I did this and how we can access courage, in any moment Mm -hmm. and how to build a post-trauma identity which I think is so
1: imperatively important during the recovery process. Mm -hmm. I love that. That, Lots of great information and I'm sure there's tons of good things in the book too. I definitely want to go back a little bit to what you said and, and that's critical if there was a physical trauma then there's dealing with that physical self and emotional self. If it was just emotional They're dealing with the emotional and the mental part of how you think and where your anxiety is coming from. So again, it can be so varied as far as how you're dealing with your own post-traumatic stress disorder, how it's manifesting itself, and how you heal. And I'm really happy to see that there's someone out there who's allowing people to understand that there's not just one way, one symptom, one fix one anything there's all these different ways to look at ptsd and to handle it and i want to ask you do you talk in the book at all or help people who are family members that have loved ones who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder because we did mention that healing in whether it's about post-traumatic stress disorder or anything else really requires someone to be invested in that process now sometimes people are not ready or they're not invested What do you say to the family members?
0: I do touch on this a little in the book because my family was so proactive in trying to help me. Mm -hmm. My brother, my father, my mother, over the years, constantly trying to sit down and say, look, you need help. And I, you know, over the years resisted and resisted and and what I learned in in my journey and and I I think really applies to all the survivors that I work with in my own post-trauma practice, that you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult. And so despite my family's best efforts, I was not willing. And right. so their best efforts and all that energy and love and and desire that they had to see me feel better it really went wasted because I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And I think the caregiver position is very difficult. We actually have a whole section on the Heal My PTSD website just for caregivers. It's under the education tab, and it is just to help them do two things. One, really understand PTSD better, Mm -hmm. and two, learn how to take care of themselves while
1: they're taking care of someone with PTSD, mm. which I think is really, really important. Yes, absolutely. And and that's a great way to put it, that people might not be ready. They might not be able to face certain things, and that's okay. But I do think that although it didn't change anything for you at the time, it, it must have showed you that you were loved and cared for. And that sometimes is critical when dealing with PTSD, is to remember that you're not alone.
0: I'm so glad that you said that, Angela, because you're so right. And in in honor of my mother, who was my greatest ally and took the full force of my fury year after year, it, it did. It made a difference to know that they were there. And and you know, and you're right. It's important to if you're su- supporting a loved one to give them the space to not be ready and yet. Stand close enough by so that when they are ready, they know you're there and you can step in and help immediately.
1: Right. Very key. And so before we wrap up, let's have you share again, where can people find out more about you? And if they're interested in picking up a copy of the book, where would they go?
0: They would go to beforetheworldintruded.com, com. we now have over 50 colleagues donating more than $1,900 worth of free gifts that will be given to every single person that purchases the book. So you can read the book for inspiration and ideas about how to heal and at the same time get all of these clinical and professional support resources from ebooks to mp3s to
1: video. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing a part of your story today, for sharing about your book and some tips about PTSD. And I wish you the best in your endeavors. And I hope if anyone is interested in learning more or has this issue affecting their life, their family, their own self, that they will contact Michelle.
0: Thank you, Angela, so much for having me because every story matters and you're the one that's making that be such a great focus for us all.
1: Thanks so much.